0: Hello, listener, and welcome to Adventist Soul Radio, the voice of hope. Thank you so much for finding time to join me. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangi. Lydia Cheng is on standby with the Family Life segment. Today, she will talk about disagreeing in front of children. Brother Ian will also be joining us during the Bible segment. Today, he will talk about Christian perfection. Stay tuned for this and some songs which are in store for you. Here's a song, Come to the feast by gracious singers
1: All things are ready Come to the feast Come for the table Now is spread. If our He will come And thou shalt be richly Lord, and drink and alone
0: Life program coming to you from Adventist Soul Radio, the voice of hope. Get ready to listen to Lady A Ching with the Family Life segment. Be encouraged.
2: Hello, dear listener. Welcome to today's Family Life Program. Today, we're going to talk about disagreeing in front of children. Before we continue, let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for the marriage message that you have provided. We pray that it may be of help in our marriages. Guide us through and through. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time, we talked on the subject of married couples who argue in front of audiences. The point we've been trying to make is that it can be embarrassing and awkward to others, and it should be to each of you when you inflict this type of tension upon them. For that reason, it's important to stop, see the other people, and be kind enough to take your arguments elsewhere. Please use enough self-control and restraint to wait for a more appropriate time and setting to settle your disagreements. That's especially true when it comes to fighting in front of your children. It can negatively change who they are in the future if they witness their parents fighting with each other in ways that are hurtful. But does that mean they should never see you disagree as a married couple? No. But you need to be discerning as to what is hurtful and what is helpful for children to witness. We think Mitch Temple says it best in the wonderful Focus on the Family book titled The First Five Years of Marriage he addressed the following question. Is it okay to disagree in front of the children? He then wrote, Yes. How else will children learn how to discuss and solve problems? Children raised in homes where spouses never disagreed in the kids' presence often develop the perception that their parents never clashed. To develop the conflict resolution skills they'll need if they marry, children need to know that their parents did struggle and how those struggles were resolved. Some issues, of course, should be discussed only behind closed doors. This include issues young children can't understand. Adult problems such as sex in marriage, financial trouble, and addictions should be discussed in private. Decide in advance with your spouse which subjects are off-limits. Focus on the family counsellor, Jim Grossbeck, adds this advice. If your voices remain calm, if there's mutual respect and good listening, and if the subject matter is appropriate for children – then open discussion in front of them may be helpful and serve as a model. But children must witness a positive outcome, not a negative one. The point is that you are to make sure that your disagreements aren't ones in which they will see and hear things they shouldn't about either of their parents because it's hurtful to their spirits or situations that could cause them unnecessary confusion or anxiety. You're trying to help them to grow up into adults who will know how to approach conflict in healthy ways, not in childish or harmful ways. As they grow up, children need to know that it's a natural thing for married couples to disagree with each other. As Dr. Gary Oliver said in his book, Mad About Us, many people really believe that healthy couples don't have conflict or get angry. Now, it is true that mannequins don't have conflict. It's also true that cadavers don't get angry. But real people in real relationships who are actively working toward figuring out what it means to become one while remaining individuals experience disagreement, conflict, and anger. The people to whom we give the most time and energy, in whom we invest the greatest amount of love and other emotions, are the ones we have the highest expectations of and are the ones with the greatest potential to trigger painful emotions such as fear, heart, frustration, and eventually anger. Anger is not necessarily a sign of relational immaturity or instability. In fact, anger is an inherent component of all human relationships, but it is especially prevalent in romantic ones. The more dependent on someone and vulnerable you feel, the more likely they'll be the object of your anger as well as your affection. Research tells us that happily married couples disagree and argue almost as much as unhappily married couples. The difference is whether they express their anger in healthy or unhealthy ways. The healthy expression of our anger can help us clarify, understand, and appreciate our differences. When we deny our anger and run off from conflict, we are running from the very process that God can use to heal our hearts and knit our hearts more tightly together in love. So the point isn't that we aren't supposed to disagree with each other in front of our children. It's that we need to figure out when and where is the most appropriate times and places to do it. Disagreeing in front of children should only be done if you can display good communication skills and you don't expose them to information that isn't healthy for them to hear or witness. Dr. Robert Frank, who wrote the book Parenting Partners, says this. Good communication isn't only helpful to couples. It also sets the stage for how the children will communicate as they grow up. If children witness their parents engaged in bickering or name-calling, or if evenings are spent in stony silence, that's what they learn. I'm reminded of a negative man I once knew who came to dinner every evening with a complaint. His day was lousy, his job was rotten, his boss was a jerk, and so on. Yet this same parent seemed surprised when his own son began remarking that he hated school, his teachers were all idiots, and his friends were fools. I encourage parents to work on good communication skills both for themselves and their own emotional health and sense of inner peace and also for their children. It's much more beneficial for kids to see their parents discussing issues, exchanging ideas and occasionally when there has been a bad disagreement, hugging and making up. It's okay for children to know that their parents sometimes disagree, but it's also important that kids but it's also important for kids to see their parents coming together again. So often, misunderstandings between couples are resolved privately, after the children are asleep or when they're out playing. It's healthy for them to see that their parents can have differences and still love and care for each other. Keep in mind, children children may not ask you tough questions about how you're living, but then again they might. But never forget that they are watching you, listening to you and learning from your every move every day. And for that reason, you have the responsibility of modeling mature behavior that they can learn from. After all, you are their examples of how adults are supposed to interact with each other. If your spouse acts in ways that she or he shouldn't, then don't add fuel to the fire by acting in ways that you shouldn't. Be a responsible parent, partner, and child of God in your own actions and words. Allow your children to have at least one example they can learn from. You know when you're saying something you shouldn't. You know when you're insulting in your words or behavior. God lets you know in your conscience, but it's your choice to listen to what he's prompting you to do or not. We pray that if you haven't been treating your marriage partner or your children in godliness by fighting in front of them in harmful ways, that today you will start to make the choices to do so. Each day can be a new beginning. Next time we'll give further pointers on how to work together on your disagreements in ways that can be productive and helpful rather than damaging. We thank Marriage Missions International for for providing us with this material. Until next time, God bless you.
0: You are tuned to Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. This is your presenter, Samuel Mangi. A producer would love to have your thoughts about this program. Please send them to the producer, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 42276-00100, Nairobi, Kenya. Our email address is awnairobi at ekadventist.org Let us now listen to gracious Singers with the song, Brighten the corners. Do
3: not wait until some deed no of greatness you may do. Do not wait to shed your light of hope. To the many duties ever need you know be true. Brighten the corner where you are. Brighten the corner. Brighten the corner where you are. Someone far from her you may guide across the bar. Brighten the corner where you are. Just close the cloud as skies that you may have to be. Let no know serve your own alone may your song Brighten the corner where you are. Brighten the corner where you look. For. Brighten the corner where you are. Someone far from home, you make a All oh, your toilet, you may surely find a need. Here reflect the bright and morning song. Even from your humble hand, the bread of love,
0: Indeed, indeed brighten the corners thank you so much gracious for such an inspiring music it is another opportunity to get some spiritual nourishment from brother Ian Mosey welcome brother
4: Greetings in the name of Jesus Christ, dear listener, and welcome to our study today. The topic of our study is Christian perfection. I am your presenter, Ian Muse. Welcome. I will begin with a rhetorical question. Does God want perfection? Of course he does. How can a perfect holy God be content with an imperfect standard? Or how can a perfect creator who originally made a perfect creation be satisfied with an imperfect one? Here's the next question. Does God ever tolerate imperfection? Once again, of course. Otherwise, he would vaporize you and make me on the spot. In fact, the whole world will be instantly destroyed if God did not at least temporarily tolerate imperfection. Although it is perfectly clear that Jesus did not come to condemn sinners, neither did he come to condemn sin. Remember the story in John chapter 8. Where a woman was caught in the act of adultery, according to the law, she was about to be stoned. Many believe that this woman was Mary Magdalene, and this was her first encounter with Jesus. As Mary stood trembling before Jesus, awaiting her sentencing, Jesus wrote in the dust. One by one, her accusers left. When Jesus stood up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman! Where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? John chapter 8 verse 10. I believe she read love and compassion in Jesus' face. She believed in his grace and she received it when he said, Neither do I condemn thee. But lest we misunderstand the deadly nature of sin, he plainly added, Go and sin no more. Verse 11. In Jesus asking us to be sinless, absolutely. Jesus can never ask anything less. Sin was the disease destroying Mary. What would you have Jesus say? Go and sin a little less? Go and cut back on your life of sin? Jesus did not come to save us with our sin, but from our sin. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. That means from the penalty and from the power of and ultimately the presence of sin. Some have suggested that when Jesus told Mary, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more, John chapter eight eleven, that this proved that the law had been set aside. In fact, the opposite is true. Sin is the transgression of the law. First John chapter 3, verse 4. Jesus was telling Mary, I will take your penalty because I love you. Sin hurts you, and sin hurts me. I will be a sacrifice in your place. Go and sin. Break the law no more. But in Scripture, real repentance consistently calls for sorrow, for, and turning from the sin as a condition for mercy. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but who so confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Peter chapter 28 verse 13. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. Most of the world eagerly takes the blessings of God and then selfishly squanders them like the prodigal son. But how do you think Jesus feels when a professed Christian goes from his presence after receiving mercy and life and returns to the very thing that cost him such suffering to save us? When we see and understand something of how much our sins have cost him, we will no longer want to embrace the monster that ravaged our Lord. Jesus did not come and die on the cross in order to purchase us a license for us to sin. He came to save us from sin. That love is the power that enables us to turn from sin. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Romans chapter 2 verse 4 Because we may repeat the same mistakes and fall into the same sin, more than once does not mean that God has forsaken us. Evidently, Mary Magdalene had the same struggle, and certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Luke chapter 8 verse 2. This does not mean at one time Jesus cast out seven demons, but rather seven times she slipped back into the old patterns of sin and he forgave her. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Peter chapter 24 verse 16. Do not become discouraged if... Like Mary, you find yourself repenting of the same mistakes several times. Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Luke chapter 17 verse 3 to 4. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. If God is asking us to forgive each other seven times in one day or seventy times, 7. Will he do less for us? Of course, God will forgive us every time that we sincerely repent. But there is a danger that we can come to the place that we presume upon his grace and through abusing his forgiveness harden our own hearts. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? That grace may abound. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans chapter 6 verse 1 and 2. There is effort involved in denying self and living the Christian life. The Bible says we war, wrestle, run, fight and strive. But the fight is a good fight of faith. We must strive to trust God's plan and will for us rather than our own. We must fight to stay close to Jesus. Mary was safe from sin when she was with Jesus. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. First John chapter three verse six. The bottom line is that Jesus came to this planet for three primary reasons. First, to show us the Father. John chapter fourteen verse nine to ten. Second, to die as our substitute for our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3 and 1 John chapter 4 verse 10. Third, to give us an example of how to be victorious. Notice the ways we are invited to mirror Jesus in the following verses. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. John chapter 20 verse 21. For even... Hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 21. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. John chapter 13 verse 15. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. John chapter 13 verse 34 Listener, we are sent as Jesus was sent. Commanded to walk as he walked, do as he did, forgive as he forgave, and love as he loved. In light of these plain principles, why would a professed Christian resist the truth that we are called to be holy? Perfect as he is holy? May God's grace be sufficient unto us all. Amen. Thank you, Listener, for your time. I was your presenter, Ian Musi.
0: That brings us to the end of our program for today. I hope that you've been blessed. would like to have your views, comments, or questions about the program. Send them to the producer, Adventist Soul Radio, PO Box 42276, code 00100 Nairobi, Kenya. You can also drop an email at awnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Join me next time, same place, same time. But until then, may our good Lord keep you safe, I've been a presenter,
1: Samuel mango All things are ready, come to the feast, come for the table now is prayer. If our bishop, he will become, and those shall be richly fair. Put <laughs>
3: may do. Do not wait to shed your light of hope. To the many duties ever near you, now be true. Brighten the corner where you are. Brighten the corner. From harbor you may guide across the bar, brighten the corner where you are. Just out those dark skies that you may learn to be, let no know.